0: Evidence and Answers. Can we communicate with the spirits of the dead? Can astrologers see into the future? Are the psychics able to foresee our future? Many are intrigued with the world of the occult. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics. The Defense of the Christian Faith. Today, Pat and Dr. Richard Howe will discuss the world of the occult and explain the danger of entering into this dark world. Now, with part one, is our host, Pat Zucran.
1: You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, can we communicate with spirits of the dead? Can astrologers actually see into the future? Are psychics able to foresee our future? Many are intrigued with the world of the occult. And to help us address this issue today is Dr. Richard Howe. Dr. Richard Howe is Professor Emeritus of Philosophy and Apologetics at Southern Evangelical Seminary, outstanding seminary there in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is a prolific writer and author as well as a public speaker and debater in churches, conferences, and university campuses, Uh, throughout the United States and the world, speaking on issues of Christian apologetics and philosophy. So, Richard Howe, welcome back to Evidence and Answers.
2: Well, Pat, thank you so much. I've been so much looking forward to this, to our conversation.
1: Yes, and we're talking about the occult today. And uh, just out of curiosity, how did you get into the study of this topic? Okay, so it's funny Outside of my formal studies in in philosophy,
2: which are both my master's and doctorate are in, the occult is probably the area I've spent more time in research on than than any other one field. And it happened from an experience I had at Dallas Theological Seminary back in the early 80s, where you may remember a guy from back then named Dave Hunt, who was trying to sound the, the alarm on the rise of the New Age movement. And I went to hear him do a couple of lectures, and it just really bowled me over. And I thought, I've, I've got to learn more about this. So I gradually started trying to get choir primary sources in the occult, from the Satanic Bible to the, you know, innocuous New Age kind of stuff are, are appearing to be innocuous New Age stuff. And it just made that a focus. And for many years, that was probably the main thing I spoke on, you know, back when the New Age movement was really taking the U.S. by storm. Now i don't know if it was affecting as far west as hawaii but i know in the southeast where i was living people were getting real intoxicated with this new age movement so there was a lot of opportunities to try to sound the alarm that what was passing for self-improvement or other kinds of of innocent if not beneficial things at the heart were really a false view of the nature of reality that that can be called occult wow
1: all right now You know, what do we mean when we say the occult? Well, it's interesting because the word occult will probably sound to many people very
2: similar to the word cult. And they're not quite the same thing. Uh, I mean, we talk about the cults as being organizations that someone may join that that sort of put themselves out as if they're Christian when they're not. Things like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. Occult is not really something one would join. It's a worldview, if, if you will. And the word comes from the Latin, which means secret or hidden. And I think the reason that that word got attached to this worldview is, is one of possible two reasons, maybe a, a little bit of both. One is that many occultists believe these sort of basic truths about reality that the occult embraces it escapes the notice of the rank and file human. It's kind of uh, an elitist kind of mentality that we have this keen insight into the nature of things that the ingrates around us just can't see. So it was hidden in that respect. But also, there may be something about the fact that for many years, if not centuries, in Western civilization, to embrace some of these views was anathema and heresy. And you and I both know there were times in Western history where if you were out of grace with the church, then you were basically committing treason in a sense. Their church-state separation wasn't like it is today in the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. So this stuff was driven underground in terms of the practitioners, and they would then cloud their communications and writings and symbolism. So you had a lot of these underground organizations. Some of them were were, uh, quasi-political and clandestine political, like the Rosicrucians or the Knights Templar, are the Masons and these kinds. And so the history is sort of peppered with these groups that all embrace, to greater or lesser extent, this particular worldview that we might call the occult.
1: Yes, now, you know, we can't afford to delve into a topic like the occult with some guidance on discernment. So how should one approach this topic of the occult?
2: So certainly we need guidance from from God's Word. And the verse that I uh, champion in this regard, is First Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, that basically tell us to test all things, hold fast what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. But what I point out quickly to people is this. I was saved as a teenager, and like a lot of people, was exposed early on to the King James Bible. I love the King James. I don't have any problem with it. But sometimes that Elizabethan English was a struggle for somebody born and reared in Mississippi. <laughs> so... When I re- when you read that verse, it might give some people the impression that the verse is saying something to the effect that we test all things, cling to the good, and abstain whatever appears to be evil. And I think that's wise advice, you know, as a, we want to have a good witness and we, wanna, we don't want to do things that might give a wrong impression. But I don't think the verse is telling us to test all things, cling to the good, and abstain from whatever appears evil, but rather it's saying test all things, cling to the good, and abstain from evil no matter how it appears. And the relevance of that for this topic is, I I found, Pat, over the years, one of the easiest topics to talk about to Christians is Satanism. And the reason is because no no matter what anybody else might think or say about Satanism or or, or think they know, they know they hate it. So you're never going to run the risk of offending A Christian audience when you start criticizing Satanism because none of them are going to come up to you afterwards and say, well, after all, you know, I take what I can out of the Satanic Bible and, you know, I I eat the meat and spit out the bone. You you never run into that. Nobody's going to do that. But if you take the same worldview and then put it in the garb of of a lot of the new age stuff of self-help or even the word of faith movement, you can have the exact same false views of reality with a different dress and people will then begin to defend it, even Christians, to say, well, wait a minute, our, we studied this book on our men's retreat, or we like this particular writer, or this particular uh, course of study, and and they, they don't realize that the, sometimes this view of reality can get kind of subtle, so that, I think, is what we have to worry about. It may not have the appearance of evil, like a satanic Bible might have to people. It might look uh, as, second corinthians uh warns us that satan transforms himself into an angel of light and his ministers and ministers of righteousness and you go well that's interesting if we're in a spiritual warfare as we are by default as christians where we're battling satan and his minions and just our normal day-to-day christian struggle with sin right if that's if satan transforms himself into an angel of light and light is very often a metaphor of truth and righteousness in the Bible and then his ministers into ministers of righteousness, then it follows logically that our spiritual warfare against Satan will oftentimes look like we're fighting the light and righteousness. And that's what causes some of this stuff to be controversial. You can't imagine why you would criticize an Oprah Winfrey, for example, for her views. I mean, after all, she's a wonderful woman. And I don't dispute the fact that she might be. But it has to get back to testing all things, cling to what is good, and then abstain from evil no matter how it appears.
1: Yes, you know, I think you bring up a great point. There are a lot of Bible study groups, and uh, I I am often surprised at the things that they are studying, and uh, the literature that's in there has teachings, you know, that overlap into the new age. Can you give us maybe a couple of examples you can think of off the top of your head of, of some of the curriculum out there that people are studying that they think is Christian, but actually have... Uh, flavor of the occult influence in them
2: well one thing that's becoming the rage that i'm trying to familiarize myself here is with uh the enneagram it's really really popular and a lot of people don't understand the origins of the enneagram this geometric figure that is supposed to set this template according to which then you can do these self-analyses of your spiritual gift and or your personality type it's fraught historically with all kinds of connections in the occult. And it's a subject I don't know a lot about yet, but it is something I think I've been running into more and more. And I've had good friends that are experts in this that have written on the subject. But even, even worse in some respects than pockets of things like, a, like a, a faddish thing, like the Enneagram, or back in my day when I, when I first started learning, it was M. Scott Peck and The Road Less Traveled. That was one I would run into a lot. And we say, we studied this book in our men's group. And they didn't realize the new age and occult worldview that Peck was advocating. But what's worse than those kind of little pockets, to me, is the word of faith movement. Because I think people don't realize that the teachers like Kenneth Copeland or Creflo Dollar, some of the things that they're teaching is exactly what you would learn in witchcraft. And what's even more startling, Pat, is that is admitted by some of their own theologians. Uh, there's a guy local to where I live who, whose name is uh, William de Arteaga, and he wrote a book called uh, uh, Quenching the Spirit. And he says, look, you know, this stuff is not only for the witches. I was like, what do you mean not only for the witches? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, In other words, he's trying to say that that the witches have somehow stumbled on these truths In fact, he actually argues that the church has lost these truths for many, many centuries, and God used the New Age movement to reintroduce into the church these lost truths. It's just startling that this would happen. When I teach on this, I have an audio clip of of Benny Hinn on the uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network with Paul and Jan Crouch, and he's telling this story about... Uh, I, you know, I, I was talking to a witch the other day, so I'm not here to talk about witchcraft, but, and they're all nodding, going, oh, they understand these secrets, and I'm thinking, hmm, secrets, the Latin word, occult, uh, and so he was, he was taking the fact that a witch was telling him about the word of power, that you could speak things and have this power in your words, as a confirmation that it must be true, because even the witches know this so to speak. And so he thought, rather than going, wait a minute, am I, am I preaching and teaching something that you learn in witchcraft? Maybe I should reconsider. He's like, no, it must be true because even they know this. And the Word of Faith movement is not just some fad, is it? I mean, I'm right. sure you've had it's guests huge. on to talk about it. This is just huge. Uh, I think you and I talked off air that this is something that you were telling me, in your familiarity with the Philippines, that it's big there. I know it's big in the Southeast U.S. I don't know what it's doing far west in the u.s like hawaii but it's it's big around here so that's scary because my argument is it just is a christianized form of occult philosophy and occult worldview
1: yes and i think that's why you know a show like this is important Uh, i was uh, accosted by some christian friends the other day and what they were upset about is that they had a film of a prophet a self-proclaimed prophet who had come to their house and he was prophesying going into different rooms saying you know i sense this spirit here i sense this spirit here this is going to happen here this is you need to do this you need to do that and as he went into his prophet mode he became a different person you know a different personality Mm. he spoke differently and they were just so amazing you know he's just a hawaii guy speaks the hawaiian pigeon and all that but you know when he's in prophecy mode look how articulate he is and He becomes another personality and and i was just watching his mannerisms and the things he was doing and i said boy this this has semblances of the occult you know i see this with psychics and and boy they really got mad at me and things
2: (laughs) yeah it is it's controversial because it's not as overt as something like you know a bald-headed priest with an inverted pentagram superimposed over a goat head doing satanic rituals would that it was that obvious but as we said, Satan transformed himself into an angel of light and his ministers into ministers of righteousness. You know, I mentioned spiritual warfare, and I think that sometimes brings up the wrong kind of images in people's minds of Hollywood kind of exorcisms and stuff. Very interesting in Second Corinthians 10, when Paul describes the spiritual war, it is a war about truth. It is tearing down arguments and bringing thoughts into subjection to Christ. So it's a battle for the truth, uh, which may sometimes be subtle and take a little bit more work for us as Christians to try to make it clear uh, what that truth is about who God is and how we relate to him and his creation.
1: Yes. Now, you know, Richard, you know, what are the defining doctrines of an occult view of reality that you've been talking about here?
2: So several, there's actually three that jump out to me. One is this idea of spiritual law. And in my PowerPoint, I put the word law in scare quotes to draw your attention that it's some kind of unusual use of the word. This idea, if you think, we understand the physical world very often as operating according to physical laws. You know, you you heat water to a certain temperature and it will boil. And it just does that all the time because of just the nature of the physics. So we can identify these laws in the physical world, and we celebrate that, and we can create vaccines and air conditioning and radio programs and things. We celebrate it. If you take that same kind of paradigm of this, these laws that govern the physical world, and then try to say, well, that's true of the non-physical or spirit realm, that is really the heart of an occult view of reality. So that the occultists, when you read books on witchcraft, for example, very often Whatever book you pull off the shelf, a large element of that book will just be instructions, if you will, recipes, if you will, of how to manipulate these spirit laws to get the kind of physical results you want, whether it's personal prosperity or healing or maybe cursing somebody else. So I would submit to you that while thinking about the physical world along the categories of laws and cause and effect, and mechanistic is fine with, with physics. It doesn't work with the, the spirit realm. That I would argue as a Christian that the spirit realm, if you wouldn't even want to use that expression, really would just be God, our human soul, and angels and demons. That's the spirit realm. There's no spirit stuff out there that it operates according to laws that's sort of parallel to the physical stuff like matter that operates according to physical laws. That is a fundamental element of occult philosophy. And then adding uh, to that, when they, the occultist begins to try to explain, okay, so what is sort of driving these activities in the spirit realm? We understand physical forces like gravity, electromagnetism, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force. So what's going on in the spirit realm, according to the occultist? Well, they will just say there is some kind of psychic or spiritual force that you can learn how to tap into. Now, what's very interesting to me is what that force is, according to the occultists, and then what's the best way to, to, to manage it and tap into it, according to the occultist is what makes the biggest difference between different occult groups. A Satanist and a witch will have different views about what the force is, what that energy is, and then they consequently have different ideas of well, what's the best way to manipulate it. So you see a lot of groups around the world, including some Asian religions, but also European witchcraft and American witchcraft, but also Satanism and the New Age. And you can look and go, well, the differences between these people is just what they think this force is and what's the most expeditious way to manage it. But the fact that there is this force that operates according to the spiritual law is common to all these groups that I would list as occult. And it really evacuates the spiritual life from, its, from the idea of grace. I mean, you could imagine a child going up to a candy vending machine, puts in the quarter or swipes the credit card or whatever, and a piece of candy comes out. And nobody would say, well, isn't that nice? The vending machine graciously gave you a candy bar because you were so kind to swipe your credit card. You say, no, no, it just operated according to the laws of physics, right? But if the child went up to the parent, and said to the mother, can I have dessert? And the mother gives them a, a piece of uh, cake. Well, that's a different kind of dynamic, isn't it? Because that's a relationship of love, uh, not just uh, the child pushes, pushes a button on the mother's stomach, and she just gives up this piece of cake. So the occult really robs spirituality of the idea of grace and love, where we're supposed to relate to a personal God and trust God's will for us as our best. They treat it as if it's just an inanimate force that you can just learn how to manipulate and get the things that you want. And I think the last thing uh, that's that's common in the occult is this idea that all human beings in some form or fashion really are gods. It might be gods with a little g, but uh, they may describe it in a lot of different ways. But it's this idea that we're all divine. And so the purpose of learning these um, ways of controlling the force, is really to sort of actualize your divinity and realize you're the arbiter of your own morals and the captain of your own faith, and there's nobody above you to whom you are accountable. And you see those three everywhere, from flagrant Satanism to more moderate kind of witchcraft to the mainstream New Age and in the Word of Faith movement.
1: Yeah, Richard, you know, I see uh, power as a theme in the occult that if I can do this certain ritual, then I gain power over this spiritual force that you're talking about. Or if if I can communicate with this particular spirit, that gives me an extra sense of power. I see that as a theme in the occult. Do you see that as a driving force and attraction to the occult?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It harkens back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sought to not do what God told them to do in terms of what they needed to know about his creation, but decided to usurp God's authority by setting themselves up as, uh, we'll just do what we think we should, we should be doing and, and not really factor in God. And so sometimes this force is described in personal terms, like spirits, where you're, it's almost analogous to a farmer harnessing an oxen To plow his field. Well, the oxen is a little bit more, uh, has a will of its own, so to speak, more than just the seeds that he plants in the field. It's sort of in between the seed and himself as the farmer, sort of this animal kind of thing, and we harness its strength. So by analogy, a lot of people in the occult will try to get in touch with spirits who supposedly can give them, say, insights into things that are beyond our ability to know and see because they can flit all around the world and see things and come and tell us, or maybe the future that can travel through time. So you, see, you very often see it personified in this, as a sort of sentient being like a spirit, or these great spiritual masters who have who kind of guard and watch over the world. And so we try to negotiate with them. Other occultists just take that as metaphor and they think it just literally is like a force, like a gravity at the spirit realm. And you just learn how to, to monkey with it, and it makes you, you know, get it to do what you want. But it is a quest for power, and I would argue that even without using the word God, this lust for power is our way as humans to try to be God himself, where we're trying to uh, be something beyond what he created us to be. And I think that's, you know, the perennial sin of get back to the Garden of Eden.
1: Yeah, now, you know, when a lot of us think of the occult, you know, we think of necromancy or witchcraft but you state there are many faces of the occult so tell us about some of the many facets and faces of the occult
2: yeah so when i teach i actually teach a course at the seminary on new religious movements and about half of the semester is just on the occult and i catalog that in these four sort of it's almost levels of how overt it appears so what i call extreme occultism would be things like Satanism. Probably the most famous Satanists in America would be Anton LaVey, who purportedly wrote the book of, uh, of the, uh, the uh, Satanic Bible. It turns out large, large segments of the Satanic Bible he plagiarized mm. from an early, uh, late 19th, early 20th century work called Might is Right by Ragnar Redbeard. Mm. So it's not, it wasn't even original with him in the first place. And then uh, there's a probably the most significant sort of Splendor group off of the original Church of Satan is uh, the Temple of Set with Michael and Lilith Aquino, who have their sort of a satanic church. They just, instead of picking Satan as their motif, which is associated with Hebrew and Christian thought, they pick Set, S E T, uh, which is more associated with Egyptian thought. And then that, they call themselves Satanists, but they're Setians. They they use that. So that's kind of the stream. And interestingly, just probably within just the past two months, I did a Zoom for a Christian group in South Africa because the news is all abuzz that they now have their first satanic church in South Africa, the Church of Satan in South Africa. So we did a Zoom, and they invited uh, anybody to come and join, and some of the Satanists actually joined the group to hear my Christian critique of Satanism.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat (laughs) Zucra.